behind you. Unhinged. You're like some desperate howling demon. You frightened me. Academia. It's Chris. <laughs> I was going to say, oh shit, Chris, that's French, but it's not. Hey, everybody, I'm Robert. <laughs> <laughs> and we're the Film Flamers. And we're back with another deep dive episode. It's April, the time of the year we love to talk about horror comedies. And so we're bringing you not one, but two this month. And they're sort of in the same family. Are they? Um. Yeah, I guess they're like closely related. Well, assuming our listeners actually read what they clicked on, I'm going to say that they know it's the Adams Family. That's right. And th- today we are talking about the original film. Yes. Not Adams Family. The Adams Family. The Adams Family. <laughs> Which is a 1991 American supernatural black comedy film based on the characters from the cartoon created by Charles Adams and the 1964 TV series produced by David Levy. It stars Angelica Houston. Raul Julia, Christopher Lloyd, and Christina Ricci. The film focuses on a bizarre, macabre, aristocratic family who reconnect with who they believe to be their long-lost relative, who is actually the adopted son of a loan shark intending to swindle the Adams clan out of their wealth and vast fortune. The film was directed by cinematographer Barry Sonnenfeld in his directorial debut, and is noted for its troubled production history. The film went way over budget and was played with illness and an overall high-stress level. The Scott Rudin produced movie was written by Caroline Thompson of Tim Burton fame and Larry Wilson, who wrote and directed several episodes of Tales from the Crypt. The music was composed by Oscar-nominated Mark Shaman with an original song, The Adam's Groove, created by MC Hammer. (laughs) Right. Too legit to quit. Okay, listeners. They're all together, Oogie. The Adam's fam of fuck it. When we first met years ago, it was an evening much like this. Magic in the air. A boy. A girl. An open grave. You were so beautiful, pale and mysterious. No one even looked at the corpse. Wednesday, play with your food. Is this made from real lemons? Yes. I'll buy a cup if you buy a box of my delicious Girl Scout cookies. Are they made from real Girl Scouts? Then you're a handful. I've done this before. This holiday season, they'll make you feel right at home. Last night, you're like some desperate howling demon. You frightened me. Do it again. The Adams Family. In an undisclosed city, the creepy and kooky Gomez and Morticia Adams live with their children Wednesday and Pugsley, alongside Grandma Adams, their butler Lurch, and disembodied hand Thing. The family is a little odd, sometimes to the chagrin of their neighbors. Gomez has long distressed over the absence of his brother Fester, who left the family on bad terms after an argument the two shared. Every year, the family holds a seance to attempt to contact Fester from beyond the grave. Gomez's attorney, Tully, is in a bit of a pickle with a loan shark, to whom he owes some serious money. He's been trying to steal some of the Adams' vast fortune to pay his debts, but cannot seem to get into their vault. He's accosted by said loan shark, Abigail Craven, and her son, Gordon, when he notices that Gordon bears a striking resemblance to the missing Fester. A plan is concocted. Gordon will arrive at the Adams' house, pose as Fester, and steal all their money. His mother will play the part of a psychologist who rescued him. The plan is enacted that night at the yearly seance, and the Adamses welcome Gordon with open arms. But the imposters insist that this is only a trial basis, and he will leave after a week. Things don't go so well for Gordon during his first few days in the Adams household, as Wednesday suspects him immediately. Gomez begins to doubt Gordon as well, after he seems to not remember anything from their past. Gomez is assured by Abigail that his doubt stems only from his own guilt, and Gomez again welcomes Gordon back into the family and plans a huge ball to celebrate his return. Meanwhile, Gordon finds himself starting to accept the clan, especially the children, whom he bonds over with wounds, scabs, and blood. 
He begins to leave their scam by the wayside, but his mother continues to keep him in line. At the ball, the entire Adams clan and creepy friends are in attendance, including the conjoined Amore twins, who let it slip to Tully that Fester should be lead Adams now that he has returned and entitled to the family fortune. Tully springs into action and convinces a local judge, who has often been plagued by the Adams' strange ways, to name Gordon executor to the estate, displacing Gomez and family. With the family out of the way, the trio of con artists begin to search for the fortune to no avail. Morticia, meanwhile, heads to the house to try to mend the broken brotherly relationship. Thing follows and sees her captured, but heads back to Gomez to alert him. A fight ensues when Gomez attempts to rescue Morticia, but Gordon saves the day by opening a book and unleashing a hurricane and blowing Tully and Abigail out of the house. A stray bolt of lightning strikes Gordon, curing his amnesia bringing him to realize that he truly is Fester Adams. Seven months later, the family celebrates Halloween together and play a spirited game of Wake the Dead, joyous that the clan is whole again. Morticia and Gomez share a passionate kiss after she reveals that she is pregnant, and the Uki family will be growing once again. Uki? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) They're all together Uki. (laughs) I mean, it's true. The Adams Family was released on November 22nd, 1991, after a very troubled and costly production, which we'll discuss a little later. It opened alongside new releases like An American Tale 2, Five Goes West, and the Bette Midler film for the boys. <laughs> Other notable movies that did well in the box office that weekend included Cape Fear, Beauty and the Beast, Curly Sue, and Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. It would gross $24.2 million opening weekend, earning the number one spot. Ultimately, it would gross $113.5 million domestically, with a worldwide total of almost $200 million, cementing itself a bona fide hit, completely opposite of the expectations of the many studios involved. It would play for more than 58 weeks in its initial release. Mm. Mm. The Addams Family holds 64% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of nearly matching 66%. The site's consensus reads, The movie is peppered with numerous sight gags on one-liners, but the disjointed script doesn't cohere into a successful whole. Metacritic indicated mixed or average reviews, and audiences pulled by CinemaScore gave the film a grade of B. That's not bad. No. Roger Ebert gave the film two out of four stars, saying it was mildly entertaining, but did not up to much. Variety wrote, despite inspired casting and nifty visual trappings, the eagerly awaited Adams Family figures a major disappointment. According to the BBC, it's the top-notch cast that elevates this film from flimsy to sheer delight. And I would agree with that last statement, and maybe it's a little bit more in line with British humor, I'm not sure. <laughs> as for accolades and legacy it was nominated for best costume design at the academy awards although it lost to bugsy at the golden globes it was nominated for best actress musical comedy for angelica houston although she lost to bet midler in for the boys and at the saturn awards it was nominated for best fantasy film but it lost to aladdin uh best actor Raul julia but lost to gary oldman for dracula naturally mm-hmm. and uh, best performance by a younger actor christina ricci and best special effects but of course Special effects lost to Death Becomes Her. Now, did Christina Ricci win or lose? Uh, she lost, but it didn't say who the winner was when I was looking for it. Oh, okay. So I have no idea who she lost to. Somebody. Um, at the Horror Hall of Fame, which was an Oscar-style show hosted by Robert England from 1990 to 92, it won Best Horror Film of the Year. There you go. Mm. I've never seen one. Have you seen the the Hall of the Horror Hall of Fame? No, I didn't even know it existed. And now I feel like a really shitty horror fan. No, there's the Horror Hall of Fame 1, 2, and 3. And they actually, like, induct them. And so they had, like, Psycho and a bunch of others, like, the first year and then, like, the second year. So it was really interesting to see what was included. So I included the the link there. I might include that in the show notes as well if anyone's interested to see who was inducted during those three years. I like how they call this um, the best horror film of the year, right? Like, I, I don't know. Well, I mean... I don't, yeah, it's it's a little strange that it won that um, when apparently, I don't know what their dates were, but apparently it was up against Bram Stoker's Dracula. So I don't know. (laughs) I I would need to look at the actual nominations for that, but it also had a presence at the Razzies. That's right. Uh, The main theme, which was written and performed by MC Hammer, won a Razzie Award in the category of Worst Original Song. (laughs) Naturally, yeah. Uh, I remember when I was a kid having that song on a single cassette. Right, Kasingle, right? Mm-hmm. I played it all the time. Although in nineteen ninety one I guess my my musical tastes were questionable. I don't remember this one. I remember I remember the uh rap song for Adam's Family Values, which was a play on like 
whoop, there it is. And it was whoop, the Adams family. There it is. <laughs> and see, and I've completely blocked that one out of my brain. So. Well, it's much catchier. <laughs> uh, after this recording, I'll probably go and listen to them both on repeat. And we'll talk about next week, like which one is the actual best. The Adams family as a property has a long history in many forms, but most notably the film sequel, Adams Family Values. And definitely stay tuned for more on that next week. Would you like to know a little bit more about the Adams history as a property? Sure. Because I didn't really know everything, so I, I looked it up. And well, I knew I was, it was a, like a Sunday comic at first, right? Like back in the 30s or something. Yes. So it started as a single panel comic strip, mostly in the New Yorker, right? So Charles Adams created this, and the first one was published in 1938, right? Although the family was sort of unnamed, it just showed them like being odd and ooky and kooky and like, you know, normal circumstances that. I don't know. I mean, everyone would find normal, right? And the comics actually ran until his death until 1988. Um, They were described as an odd, wealthy, aristocratic clan who delight in the macabre and are seemingly unaware or unconcerned that other people find them bizarre or frightening. You know, I really would not have placed it in the late 30s. I would have placed it as kind of like, um, you know, a counterculture comic in the 50s, you know, against the nuclear family, perfect family in the 50s or something. You know, it's interesting to me that it came out, you know, 12 years before that decade even started. Right. I think that he and I don't know this for sure. This is just my opinion. I think that he created this in response to a lot of families remaining wealthy throughout the Depression Right. And so like it was like the anti-aristocratic family or, you know, people found them to be odd and I know eccentric anyway. Right. And so he created a family that was odd and eccentric and had a lot of money, you know. Hmm. So um, the family didn't have names until they appeared on television. And um, Adam said of his creations when the television series was started. He said, Gomez and Pugsley are enthusiastic. Morticia is even in disposition, muted, witty, sometimes deadly. Grandma Frump, which I didn't know was her name, is foolishly good-natured. Wednesday is her mother's daughter. A closely knit family, the real head being Morticia, although each of the others is a definite character, except for Grandma, who is easily led. Many of the troubles they have as a family are due to Grandma's fumbling, weak character. The house is a wreck, of course, but this is a house-proud family, just the same, and every trap door is in good repair. Money is no problem. (laughs) So, uh, the TV series premiered in 1964, and it ran for 64 episodes over two years' time, and later found a home and a following in syndication, right? So, I remember watching The Adams Family a lot when I was a kid. Yeah, although that was one of the things that we were actually kind of concerned about when they were going to make this movie was they weren't sure that it was syndicated quite as much as other shows were of the time, uh, specifically in comparison to The Munsters. Yeah, you know, and I watched The Munsters a lot as a kid, too. Right. And so but um, I think that I, I I think that I I liked The Munsters more when I was younger. And it wasn't until I became a teenager that I really appreciated The Addams Family, because like yeah. you said, even the TV show is very dry. But it starred like the incomparable John Aston as Gomez Adams. And he was just fantastic in that show. And so aside from that, um, after that show ended, there was a crossover episode of the new Scooby-Doo movies that they were in. And it sort of brought around this like Adams Family Renaissance. (laughs) There was a 16 episode animated series that premiered in 1973. Um, There was another 21 episode animated series in 1992 after the movie. So lots of like cartoons. Right. I remember seeing that. Yeah. So the two movies that we're talking about for sure. But other than that, there was a new Adams Family, which was a Canadian show that ran for 65 episodes in 1998 into 1999. There was a 2019 animated movie that came out. Well, wait a, a second. To that. Because yeah. I think that that Canadian one or like the, the show that went from or was it? No, it was the Adams Family Reunion, right? With Tim Curry. Yeah, and Daryl Hannah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I can't remember if that was like direct-to-video or yeah. maybe a TV movie. It was like a TV movie or direct-to-video. Right. The animated movie didn't perform as well at the box office as people thought it would. It, I thought it looked cute. I didn't watch it. My husband has. Me so. either. And I and it just I didn't like the trailer. It didn't feel right to me. Right. I grew well, up with the movies, these movies that we're covering and deep diving into. But um, apparently it did well enough because they're making a sequel. That's right. Sequel's coming out fairly soon. And um, a musical version came out. And I love the soundtrack to that. I think it's really good. It stars Nathan Lane and B.B. Newirth. And oh. it's just delightful. Interesting. So. Okay. But yeah, so I mean, like, I think it's safe to say that the Adams family is, um, you know, they've cemented themselves into pop culture. And uh, Time magazine even compared them. Uh, they said the relevance and the cultural reach of this family is on par with the Kennedys and the Roosevelts. Oh, wow. 
so i don't know it's american royalty i mean obviously right <laughs> so i mean i don't know do you think that uh, the adams family has that kind of cultural reach like the kennedys and the roosevelt's Sure, in 2020, yeah, sure, why not? Maybe not in 1960. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, so like like you said, we grew up watching these movies, and I wonder if kids today, like, just know the Addams Family like we did when we were younger, right? I don't know. Probably not. So I'm going to have to start polling my nieces and nephews, (laughs) see what they know about it. Yeah. Tape their eyes open to watch the Addams Family values, at least. (laughs) Well, uh, how long are we not going to be talking about the Barry Sonnenfeld in the room? Um, We might as well start talking about him now. I think we've ignored him for far too long. Yeah. So this guy was uh, originally a cinematographer, right? And and most notably for the Coen brothers, right? Who did movies like Fargo, Big Lebowski, No Country for Old Men, uh, before he directed The Addams Family as as a directorial debut, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, afterwards, he made uh, the sequel, Addams Family Values, along with like movies like Get Shorty, the entire Men in Black series, Wild Wild West, and RV, which I feel like is incredibly underrated and stars Robin Williams, Jeff Daniels, Cheryl Hines, and Kristen Chenoweth. It's... I remember watching that movie and just it being so hilarious. I don't think I've seen this movie, but you need I to love see it. Kristen Chenoweth. <laughs> you need to see RV. It's hilarious. Great. Okay. I will add that to the list for sure. And more recently, he has actually uh, been directing the series of unfortunate events on Netflix, which I think has been canceled or has ended with, uh, with uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. I, I mean, I, it possibly I've, I've never seen that either. Uh, Rob has watched it. So I mean, like I, I think he liked it a lot. Anyway, so uh, coming out in 2021 or 2022 is something called Schmigadoon, and it's an upcoming American musical comedy series starring Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key from Saturday Night Live. Schmigadoon? Yeah. <laughs> so well, I love I mean, Cecily Strong. And I like Keegan Mike and Key a lot, too. So, I mean, I'm, I'll probably watch that. And musical comedy, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. I think that Barry Sonnenfeld makes really good like fantasy comedies right like he's just he's good at it like yeah. the, the the first couple men in black movies were really something special like i i enjoyed it and i laughed a lot sure um i'm not quite sure i can say the same about wild wild west but no. yeah <laughs> no but the problems with wild wild west are not the direction uh as a famous youtube video will show you um with kevin smith talking about how he was supposed to direct it and how he oh. escaped a batshit producer <laughs> from uh, essentially just like lording over the whole thing and all his ideas for a Superman movie turned into wild, wild West that, Oh, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. I remember us having a conversation about this before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so you should look that up if you're interested, but uh, yeah, let's, what do you feel like about Barry Sonnenfeld? I, I'm not like huge on his oeuvre. Like I've never seen get shorty. I've seen like the first few men in black. Wasn't a huge fan of wild West. So, of course I loved RV. Obviously he has a huge presence in cinema uh specifically like comedies or comedies twinged with other genres um mm-hmm. and of course he's put a stamp on like the early coen brothers films like um raising arizona and things like that i didn't even know that he was a cinematographer first like i really just thought he was a director i mean this is this is a name that i know right from from movies and his movies have made a shit ton of money right yeah. so obviously like you hear his name thrown around i just know that it, it's oftentimes like like you said like genre dabbled, right? So everything that he makes is not just a, a full-on comedy. There's little touches of horror or like supernatural stuff thrown in there or science fiction or westerns or in the case of Get Shorty, like, you know, crime, right? Mm-hmm. Get Shorty, I think, is a really fun movie as well. So, okay. I mean, I like his work. Like, I'm not not the like the, the biggest fan. I'm not going to just run around like singing the praises of Barry Sonnenfeld all the time. But the movies that I have seen, I mostly like – and um, I think that he's earned a spot, you know, at least for appreciation for his work. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about the cast a little bit? Oh, my God. Yes. Because I think that's the best part of this movie. <laughs> yeah. They really, really did a great job with casting, starting with Angelica Houston as uh, Morticia Adams. The Golden Globe nominated Angelica Houston. Yeah. And, and bless her soul, because a little bit later, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to talk about how much work she had to do in this role. Oh, God, really? Oh, yeah. Fun facts. Uh, I think that she is just amazing in this movie like I, I think she really like carries it well she and christina ricci i think really carry this movie well i don't know because christina ricci is excellent in this movie but she's only like a hint of what's to come in adam's family That's values true. right someone some genius i forgot the writer for the second one the writer for the second one actually did a pass uh on this one right but he was he was obviously smart enough to recognize uh, the genius that is christina ricci as wednesday adams and really make a full half of the next movie about her essentially right um for this one it 
it really does a good job of, I would say, putting like the heart and soul of this movie into Angelica Houston as Richard Adams and Raul Julia as Gomez Adams and them as a couple and as relationship goals. Yes. <laughs> I do believe that when we counted down our top 10 horror couples, that they were toward the top. Oh, yeah. I think they were number two. Yeah, something like that. They were real high up there. Yeah, and they really are. I mean, like, these two actors are just fantastic in these roles. Um, I think Angelica Houston, like, there's something about the way they light her face or the makeup, right? She just, like, she's so captivating. Oh, there's something about it. And <laughs> Great. <laughs> but um and Ralph Julia is like the perfect foible to her like he's so crazy in this movie like the character is just nuts and all over the place and I think that you know Angelica Houston does a really good job of sort of like staying you know in the the matriarch role and also the wife role but she's like behind the scenes just making sure that everything sort of works out for everybody in the family it's just it's good so let's move on to uh, Christopher Lloyd of all people as Uncle Fester Adams or Gordon Craven depending on who you believe yeah, I mean, I um, like I. Whenever I was writing the synopsis, I was just like, "Do I call him Fester? Do I call him Gordon?" At one point, when I was writing it, I called him Gordon Fester, and I was like, "No, that doesn't sound right." <laughs> so I just like <laughs> followed the story, right? So, um, but I think I don't know. I mean, I think that Christopher Lloyd does a good job, especially when yeah. he's being Fester. You know? Yeah, he is definitely. I can't imagine really anyone else especially back then. But I, I think it took me an embarrassing amount of time to realize that uh, the doc from back, back to the future was the same actor <laughs> as Uncle Fester from the Adams family movies. And um, anyway, I thought, and of course also um, the main Klingon bad guy in Star Trek three or something. What? Um, yeah. He's like a main bad guy in one of the Star Trek movies. So he was all <laughs> over the, he was all over the eighties and nineties really. Well, I mean, by the time that Adam's Family came out, I already loved uh, Christopher Lloyd because he played Professor Plum in Clue. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, that's right. And I was obsessed with that movie, and still am, technically. So, yeah, yeah so I was I was already a big fan of Christopher Lloyd. It was a name that I recognized at, you know, 11 when this movie came out. So, yeah, yeah he, does, he does a good job. I will say, though, that I, like, I, I watched the Adam's Family TV show you know, before I saw the movie and cause I used to be, you know, I used to stay up late and watch Nick at night and shit like that. And, uh, the character of Fester in the TV show is nothing like the character of Fester in the movies. Right. And of course that but was John Aston, father of Sean Aston, who was in the Goonies and, uh, Lord, later Lord of the Rings. Oh really? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Rudy, if you're a football fan, Rudy, I've only seen that movie one time. It's great music by uh, Jerry Goldsmith. We've already mentioned Christina Ricci as Wednesday Adams, but I think it bears repeating that she is just marvelous as Wednesday Adams. Yeah, she's iconic, really. I mean, <laughs> obviously both Morticia and, and, and uh, Wednesday are iconic in this film and the next. And I will never forgive these studios for not making some sort of, you know, adult Wednesday uh, series with Christina Ricci. And I hope it still happens. Of course, she's like basically in her mid 40s at this point. You know, but I still think that I, I've heard, I thought that they were going to restart Adam's family with Wednesday as the new um, Morticia, you know what I mean? And have a new generation. And that would be amazing if it was Christina Ricci. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think that gets thrown around there a lot. Right. And I think that Christina Ricci is so good in this particular role that she can sort of slip into it whenever she wants to. At least I believe that to be true. Right. But as far as I know, the new Adam's family that's coming to Netflix will just be a full on reboot. That sucks, you know, and I'm, well, I'm, if it doesn't suck, I'm hoping that it's as good and as clever, you know, as the casting here and as the writing here. And, um, it, it'll be fun to see and I'll check it out. But, um, there's just nothing like Christina Ricci as Wednesday Adams. <laughs> Agreed. It's one of those roles, you know, that's just someone was like born to play. Yeah. And she's been in a lot of things like since then. Right. Oh, yeah. But I think when, when people think of Christina Ricci, they're going to say Wednesday Adams like forever. Right. Yeah. So when you say iconic, it really is. I mean, even Angelica Houston has had a lot of roles. Right. Sure. But I think that most people, when they think of Angelica Houston, now they think of Morticia Adams. Yeah. So. I would say with basically everyone in this movie. Uh, right. Right down to Carl oh, yeah. Strucken, except for Christopher Lloyd. Right. Who will and, always be Doc, uh, you know, the Doc or whatever, Doc Brown from Doc Brown, yeah. Uh, from Back to the Future series. But uh, rounding out our Adams cast, we have Jimmy Workman, who plays Pugsley Adams, mm -hmm. and uh, Judith Molina, who as who plays Grandma or Mama, right, mm -hmm. as she's called, right? Grandma. Mm -hmm. 
And Carl Shugan, like you said, as Lurch. Right. Um, and we've talked about him on the podcast before. Oh, he's been in all kinds of things, and we all love him. You know, he's been in uh, Dr. Sleep, and of course, he was in both Adam's Family movies. Uh, he was on he was on Star Trek and he's been on Twin Peaks. He's been in mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, and it's hard not to like notice him, right? Because he's a, he's a big man. He was at that convention that we were at a couple years ago yep. here in Dallas, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, we probably should have gone over that table and got his autograph. I don't know what the hell we were thinking. I think we were just probably ready to leave. Yeah, <laughs> so. I think we were. And he had like one person there, I think, where he was leaving because I think we both yeah. were interested. But I think they closed his line. Hmm. But, uh, but we also have Christopher Hart's hand as thing. And he has a whole story. Hart. He's a magician and he has a whole story about how he would do different things. You know, like they had to, he had to play like a chess game or something with Gomez, Raul Julia's character. And he would have to be under the table and know exactly where to, he'd be looking at a monitor under the table to know exactly where to put down the chess things. And if he got something wrong, they'd have to redo the whole thing and he had to do everything blind, you know, wow. and he was on set and he did all, a lot of that stuff on set. You know, and below the tables and, you know, doing all the sign language and everything else. But he's um, he also played a hand in like um, an angel episode and uh, and a couple of other things he's been a hand model for. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Well, while we're talking about thing, what do you think about the special effects involving that particular character? I thought it looks incredibly good today. There was there's a little bit of like blue screen fuzz that I could see, like in some earlier scenes. But for the most part, it looks photo real all the time. Yeah. I completely agree with you. There was only one moment where he was like sort of hopping through the swamp from lily pad to lily pad that looked a little like fakeish. Stop motion. Yeah. yeah, And so, but for the rest of the movie, I was just like, good Lord, this holds up. I was just like, it looked amazing. Yes, it really does hold up. And the the next one will be even better. So I can't, I can't imagine how my 11 year old brain was thinking when I was watching this in the theater, I must've been like, my Lord, it looks real. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a good year though, for like special effects. If we had this and like death becomes her, that's, it's pretty fucking amazing, 1991. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. agree. Good for you. So finally, we have uh, rounding out our Adams cast. We have John Franklin as cousin It, um, and then for our Normie cast, we have Elizabeth Wilson as Ab- Abigail Craven or Doctor Greta Pinderschloss. <laughs> I don't know what Pinder means in, in German, but Schloss means castle, so I'm not sure. I don't speak any German, so I don't know. I can't speak German, but I will if you like. Um, <clears throat> I thought she did a really good job in this movie, too. Like, I totally forgot about the psychologist part where she has to, like, bring on that accent. And I was cracking up <laughs> when she first started talking. I was just like... <laughs> and really, that whole speech about Gomez's, like, mental block, right? I was like, this is really funny. So she's she's just a good little comedic actress. So Pender is like a pound... Uh, a pound- keeper pound maker like someone who impounds right and so she's a she's a shark right so she's a lone shark Mm -hmm. so basically it makes sense that she'd be pendishloss what does greta mean i don't know (laughs) (laughs) uh it also has uh dan head yeah how do do you say his name that's how i've always said it okay yeah i just i you know i've never really known how to say that although i've always known him as Cher's father from clueless so. yeah and he was also in first wives club which um that's right yeah this this at least the same composer did the music for that and he was also in alien resurrection which we'll be covering next year well this year technically i think yeah well yeah i think so you're right damn it this year <laughs> i'm looking forward to that too because i forgot he was in that movie my lord he's been in a lot of things but he's he's also like effortlessly funny right and I, it's just the way he delivers things also in the kind of that deadpan manner, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. Uh Dana Ivy plays Margaret Alford, Tully's wife. What else has she been in? She has such an iconic look. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking the same thing when I was watching this last night. I was just like, oh, her, you know, like I know I've seen her in things other than the Adams family and Adams Family Values, but I cannot like put my finger on it. But she is. She has like just a, a look about her that you would remember, you know? Uh yeah, but she does. I mean, she looks like somebody that you'd remember and she has sort of a pivotal part to this movie too which i didn't put in the synopsis but she eventually joins the adams family clan uh by marrying cousin it yeah which we no one saw coming way out of left field (laughs) yeah we also have their judge neighbor um paul benedict and then i do really want to say the last thing is that i want to say like the very smallest bit talking part in this whole movie is pretty much mercedes McNabb as the girl scout right who ends up in the next movie playing amanda buckman and Adam's only values. And wasn't she also Harmony yeah, and, and Buffy. Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Buffy yeah. The Angel, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the line that I laughed at the hardest watching this movie this time. And I knew that it was coming, but still, I, it just makes me laugh every time. Yeah. <laughs> 
are they made from real Girl Scouts? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, they linger on her face after they say that. Yeah. <laughs> she's just like stares at them like she's like having this like weird mental battle with them and then she just walks away. <laughs> but she does have a much bigger, meatier role in Adam's Family Values. And thank God. So. And I really hope that that actually comes back for, for any kind of like adult Wednesday show that we might get. You know, we should just end up like Let's just do it. Just next door neighbors or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that'd be so good. No. So anyway, let's talk about some of our favorite moments. Okay. So um, I really like the intro to this movie where they have a seat, like a Christmas caroler standing outside. Right. And I, I thought last night when I was watching it, I was like, I didn't realize this was a Christmas horror movie too. It's not. It's just that this movie is made up of so many goddamn vignettes that it's, it could be any time, any, anywhere, any time, any amount of time could have passed in, in between any given scene, you know? So I don't know. Let's just take it as is. It's the carolers. And that's the, the reveal of the Adams family on the roof about to pour apparently tar down on the, <laughs> down on the Christmas carolers. And that's the, that's our intro. I totally forgot how this movie started. And I was just like, okay. And then when it showed them, I was like, wow. I was like, these people, I mean, they're supposed to be delightfully ooky, right? But I mean, that's kind of mean. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, maybe they thought they would enjoy it. But then we transition. I love that they're on the roof because we transition into that amazing cuckoo clock of their mansion. <laughs> where yeah. where Gomez and Morticia come out of the front like cuckoos. And then like Gomez is like kissing her boobs. Like repetitively <laughs> as part of cuckoo. <laughs> And the rest of the family shows up yeah. like in different windows and things. Yeah, yeah. It's really like Pugsley stuff. is hanging Wednesday like repetitively with a rope, and uh, the like Carl Strickland's character or whatever is like opening the door and sweeping the front door over. It's yeah. I wonder if that actually exists. Yeah, I want right? it. I want. I want to. Like, I know. Yeah. And, I'm sure someone paid a lot of money for it. And then we get a reveal of Thing, which I can't imagine wasn't in the trailer. But even then, it kind of blew my kid mind because it looked so real, and to this day, it looks so real. Yes, it really does. You know, and so like as a kid watching the Adams family on TV, thing is like relegated to a box that he pops up out of, right? And the box is all over the house, so you know he's moving or something, but you only ever see him pop up out of that and close the door behind him. But immediately in this movie, he's running around everywhere and it was just amazing to look at. Yeah, it really was. But then we sort of like get our main intro into Morticia and Gomez when um, he wakes her up in the morning. Right? Yeah. And it's really, I feel like a good half of this movie is kind of introducing us to the world of the Adams and all these different characters in different situations. And it's almost mm-hmm. like a, just a giant setup for the next movie, you know, or for a really, it feels like a big setup for a franchise as exactly. it should have been, you know, but we really do, like you just said, get introduced to Morticia and Gomez, you know, with the way they have their little like verbal repartee going on. And he goes, Mm -hmm. you know unhappy darling and she says oh yes yes completely (laughs) you know like she's like complaining that he was like a demon that last night and that he frightened her and he hurt her and will he do it again (laughs) you know like that and it's so off you know it's just wonderful it's like so delightful just to to, every scene with them together is just delightful yeah i have to completely agree with you I, i just the way that the two actors like play off each other is great i think that their lines together are some of the best in the movie and like you say it really does like sort of set it up for what should have been like a huge franchise i think that these two like have really good chemistry and um it's fun to watch them right just talk to each other and you know play off that sort of like loving relationship that they have yeah Meanwhile, we get introduced more into Gomez outside of his relationship with Morticia and how playful and weird he is um, when our favorite lawyer arrives. And, you know, it kind of kicks off the plot with the whole like money subplot, I guess. Well, Mm -hmm. the main plot, I guess, the catalyst for, you know, Gomez to return, right, is like this lawyer needing money, him having to interact with his loan sharks and uh, the the whole like money grubbing steal money from the the Adams scheme. Right. And so he's listening to him go into that vault. Right. And he's saying things like bat kitty and whatever, (laughs) you know, I mean, like we're led to believe that it like this is like well protected. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, it really does like start the entire like plot of the movie. So and we never get to see kitty in that. Kitty's the original pet, I believe, even from the comics. It's his pet lion. Yeah. So I think it was Morticia's pet or something like that. They also had a pet in the comic. um, Pugsley had a pet octopus called Aristotle. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a little octopus on one of their uh, one of their bed stands. I think it's um, Mm -hmm. one of the kids uh, beds or something. And that goddamn finger trap. Oh, Lord. I know. It just kept popping up. And it was the same woman getting stuck in it, really, right? So. <laughs> well, this is hilarious because like, it's like yet another prop that I want from this film. I want that cuckoo clock. I want that finger trap. And then I also want a lot of like the, the, the graves I can pull out for Halloween. 
you know? Oh my God, I know. <laughs> Those graves were really amazing. Just the way that, I mean, it seemed like they were so like easily made or whatever, but I yeah. kind of like that style. So it's neat. Yeah. Super neat. That looked very cartoony, almost like original, like 3D models or something of like the original cartoons from the, you know, from that you might see in the, the original like, comic or something. Mm-hmm. And I also, I mean, I like the idea of like a back history or like Adams from the past, right? So well, it's hilarious because it's like everything in their life is like gothic, except everything retro in their life is like almost cartoony, right? So you you expect some sort of like gothic graveyard, but no, this is all like like the Fisher Price graveyard or something. <laughs> <laughs> Like Weeble Wobbles Graveyard. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And this was our aunt, Hungry Hungry Hippo, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I just like some of those backstories, though. Like, Morticia really does, like, give a little little snippet for each one, and it's it's amazing. Yeah. So Then we get, of course, we we do meet the Cravens, right? And and Fester, and uh, and the whole... The plot in this movie is like not the best part of it. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really yeah. matter. It's all about the introduction to the characters and being like exposed to the Adams family and their lifestyle, really, more than anything happening in the plot. Unlike the sequel, I would say, where the plot actually matters more. Yeah, I kind of feel like they were trying to introduce the family so they because they knew they were going to have more movies, right? Or at least they hoped so. And you know, they're like, well, what, what can we possibly do to introduce these people? And so they have like a very thin plot or whatever. They just enough to like push the story along. But like you said earlier, it really is just a series of incidents that these family are doing, right? Just to make us laugh and to get us, you know, to know who these characters are. Yeah. One of my favorite moments after they're introduced to or reintroduced to Vester, I guess, um, is you know morticia going through his luggage helping him unpack you know and seeing all the weapons and everything else and he's like mortified (laughs) that she has like caught him or whatever and then she like looks at the poison turns around and she goes fester as if we'd run out (laughs) arsenic as if we'd run out (laughs) that's funny (laughs) they continue to do this fish hour out of water thing with fester as he's kind of getting into the groove with the family they have breakfast the next morning and one of one of the scenes where i was like what was apparently like pugsley comes in late with a stop sign then you hear like the the a hush falls over to the table as Gomez is like, be quiet, everyone. And they hear this horrible, horrible traffic accident outside <laughs> because he took down the stop sign. I was like, Jesus Christ. And isn't he like, bravo, Pugsley. Yeah. <laughs> right? Maybe they are just a twinge mean spirited, right? Mm-hmm. Tar on carolers, like horrific traffic accidents. And later on, like in their room or his room, you see like a whole like barrage of stop signs that he's stolen. So apparently I missed it's that. his uh, fucking hobby. It's funny <laughs> because I think that inspired my sister and me to do some weird things in our street in front of our house like we would put uh stuffed animals out in the middle of the road and people would and people would stop and one time we heard this woman just like scream like had no inner monologue and she just started she got out of her car in the middle of the road and like screamed and says no kitty oh my god and like, oh it's a stuffed animal and then put it in our mailbox and drove on was like, even as a kid i was like what is happening <laughs> that's a that's a wonderful hobby yeah. i did not know that about you or your sisters so. oh yeah no when we would chalk on the on the ground we would write with chalk on the ground like warning dead cat and stuff like that like 20 yards out <laughs> yeah maybe maybe i'll watch the adam's family a little too often yeah yeah probably we were the we were the template honestly i mean but wednesday and pugsley play a lot of like crazy games together too right like is there a god <laughs> so. what's this game called it's called is there a God? <laughs> the delivery, though. <laughs> Again, just super iconic and fun. Um, yeah. And speaking of them, like one of the ways that Fester, uh, you know, starts kind of integrating with the family is to help them out with the school play or the talent show or whatever it was. Because mm-hmm. they were learning Shakespeare, right? Something. And he, yeah, and he was like abhorred at the way that Pugsley was killing Wednesday. And he's like, no, let me show you. <laughs> so. Well, I love that scene so much because it has just like they're cutting off each other, they're cutting off each other's limbs in front of this whole audience of parents. And, and then they have the fake blood spraying out like that whole stage was like a flood of fake blood by the time they were finished. <laughs> and the whole like first five rows will get wet like SeaWorld. You know, they were all just <laughs> drenched with blood. And it's just it was an amazing sequence, especially because of the contrast of what had happened before with all the little kids coming out and singing before them and the Adams just looking like they were being annoyed to death by <laughs> like the, the worst thing in the world, you know? <laughs> yeah. The like choir of children singing the King and I. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh my god, it's so funny. Can you imagine like how much these kids playing these characters enjoyed that scene? Like <laughs> as kid actors, like just flinging blood on everybody. And I mean, they had to have enjoyed the shit out of it. So at least I hope so. Getting to know you, getting to know. <laughs> You're in, which is trails. what this movie is. And then finally, we come to my favorite part in the movie, and that's the party scene. Really? Why? Why is that the favorite part? Just because, I mean, I love I love the original Adams family, but like I said earlier, I want to know a lot of backstory. I want more Adams characters. And we have just so many like crazy characters and things going on in this party. Mm-hmm. And it's just so fucking enjoyable to me. I just love it. <laughs> love it. Um, yeah, I, I really liked the introduction of like cousin it and a bunch of the other characters and there's a lot of interesting things going on like wednesday finds out you know the the plot and has to escape Mm -hmm. into a mausoleum and everything else um but it's at this party really that they're double crossed right and so they they go out looking for wednesday after the party's over and they come out and they come back and realize that they've been locked out of their home because fester was finally convinced by his you know lying fake mother that um you know she was the his real family and that you know, he was now accepted as the as the lead Adams, as the older brother, right? Mm-hmm. And that he could take over. And so um, they even went to the judge, which is, of course, ended up being their neighbor <laughs> yep. who hated them. <laughs> really, like, all of this is just, it really felt kind of hollow to try and get the Adams out of the house and into the real world, right? So that we could have some sort of, like, vignette, you know, and montage of them all, like, working, you know, in the real world. All of a sudden, Thing has a job as a mailboy, you know, and he's throwing mail at people in an office <laughs> setting. They all get jobs, right? And um, obviously, we get that one scene that we love so much with Wednesday and Pugsley, where they're talking about the Girl Scout cookies. Are they made from real Girl Scouts? Right, selling their lemonade. Don't they have like, a whole bunch of poisons on their yeah. stand, too? <laughs> like, <laughs> straight up, right? <laughs> Gomez is an unemployed, unemployed loser. Uh, calling into Sally Jessica Raphael. I don't know if, who out there remembers her. I do. Um, I think my husband does for sure because we were watching this and he was just like, when was this movie made? <laughs> and I was like, 1991. And he, I, it was right after that Sally Jesse Raphael thing. And uh, I thought he was going to bring her up. And he was like, he's eating from a really old Fritos bag. And I was like, you remember what Fritos looked like in 1991? <laughs> I was just like, good lord. Oh, I didn't notice that. But I did, I did remember Sally Jesse Raphael. And I remember watching that <laughs> as a kid and thinking, oh, wow, I had completely forgotten she existed. Yeah, I mean, all I remember are the glasses, right? So while he's calling it to Sally Jesse Raphael, uh, apparently Morticia is now a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> so you have to assume that this has been weeks or months, right? All of a I mean, like, it's not day one they're all doing this stuff. But she tells them the story of the, she tells these poor little kindergarten children the story of Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, but from a, a really odd vantage point, like, she's talking about how terrible it is for the witch, right? <laughs> now, children, what do you think burning to death feels like? <laughs> All the fucking kids start crying. Yeah. I mean, like honestly, that's why I can't be a teacher. <laughs> why do you think so. burning? To, what do you think burning to death? How do you think that witch felt? How do you think burning to death feels like? <laughs> they push that innocent witch into the oven. <laughs> so, but all this sort of like leads to the end of the movie, right? So, like Morticia goes and she's trying to like reconnect the family or give some impassioned plea, but she's taken hostage by you know the con artists in their house. So that about wraps up our film. <laughs> <laughs> because like really well like that was the whole point like to introduce us to the atoms and then they all have like their like moments in you know real life and then they kind of uh find a way to get back so uh, essentially morticia you know sneaks out and sparks this whole series of events where apparently you know gomez and basically everyone else comes back to save her you know whatever <laughs> that was that was kind of cool but whatever um they, anyway they get blown out of the uh, the bad guys kind of like the lawyer and his fake mom get blown out of the window and they land on those empty uh empty graves that wednesday and pugly have just like built and um yeah i think i think pugs looks like are they dead and Winston goes does it matter and then they bury them <laughs> yeah wraps it up very neatly <laughs> but uh you know fester has regained his memory too and so he realizes that he really is fester adams and he joins the family and we get that nice little halloween closing where we see that margaret has buried cousin it like we talked about earlier and they go play wake the dead and um <laughs> so and <laughs> My understanding of this is like, is Wake the Dead is like to get every shovel you own and to go out and and basically unbury every every the dead. Yeah. <laughs> Just look at them apparently. <laughs> yeah, because you know Wednesday and Pugsley are sort of like banging on the tombstones. They're like, wake up, Aunt Ophelia or whoever, and uh, Fester's like, no children, dig, dig. <laughs> so- <laughs> 
this one was decapitated. Look at her. And they like scream for joy. <laughs> yeah. And they run over. Yeah. So, I mean, like the family is like joyous and happy and together. And, uh, you know, we have Gomez and Morticia sharing the last kiss of the movie after she holds up that fucking <laughs> four legged sweater or whatever the fuck she's knitting. Yeah. So. It was like octopus legs or something with it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like oh a bundle of joy <laughs> but yeah i mean enjoyable it's an enjoyable movie with lots of really fun one-liners like you know rotten tomatoes said <laughs> so there you go more perfected in the next film it's true very accurate yeah. so i know we talked about earlier that this movie was sort of plagued by production troubles right and there's really sort of a, a storied history behind that right and all of it started with the rights to the adams family yeah because, I mean, it's created by one man, another man, you know, made the TV series and it just created some sort of like legal nightmare for, you know, getting this movie off the ground. So the idea was pitched to 20th Century Fox to adapt the Adams Family cartoons and the studio thought that would be a really good idea. Um, but Orion Pictures would not sell the property to them. So um, especially since they were already planning a reboot of the old TV series. Um, But Charles Adams' widow sold the remaining rights to them and the movie got greenlit and 20th Century Fox was able to. Yeah. Do you remember that that the the first credit was like um, special thanks to like Lady Clarence or something or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Uh That was um, that was her. Right. So she remarried a couple of times or whatever. And her final name was like Clarence or Clarence or I don't, one of those Clarendon and um, whatever it says at the end there is actually thinking the widow of uh, Charles Adams. I did not know Mm. that. I thought it was just somebody random that the director wanted to thank or something like that. Mm -mm. (laughs) In fact, I didn't know that this movie had, you know, sort of a troubled past until me neither doing research. No. So, well, first, first things first, when they finally were able to like green light the project, right. They were trying to find a director. They wanted to choose Tim Burton. (laughs) So that was her first choice, but he was busy making Batman Returns by then. Yeah, and thank God because it's a really good movie too. <laughs> but um, I mean, I mean, if I were in the like the producer's shoes, I would also probably go for Tim Burton. It seems like something right up his. It alley, seems right? like they were trying to go for like a Beetlejuice vibe here, right? And they did exactly. And uh, so of course they wanted Tim Burton. He's going to have his hand on it now anyway, thanks to Netflix. Yeah. So he'll get his yeah, shot. He will. But- in the last three months of production, uh, director of photography Owen Roisman quit and was replaced by Gail. Tattersall and uh, filming resumed, but within weeks, Tattersall was rushed to the hospital, halting production again, while Sonnenfeld took over for cinematography while simultaneously directing the film. Well, thank God he had that fucking past experience right. then. I mean, otherwise this movie would have just gone on forever. But I can imagine that happening. Like if you're a cinematographer and then you're a director and then you hire a cinematographer, and they're not doing what you want. Like you're smart <laughs> enough to know what can and can't be done and, and what should or should not be done. And so if you're getting a new exactly. lip, you know, from someone like you're, you know, obviously that person quit, you know, so we'll see. But, but if you are getting lip, it's easy to say, get off my set or whatever. Like, I'll just do this myself. Exactly. <laughs> You think you can do it better? I job? have filmed. <laughs> I've worked with the Coens. <laughs> Before they were the Coens. Yeah. For, further delays occurred when a blood vessel in actor Raul Julia's eye burst, Oof. leading the production to film around Julia until he recovered. And then Sonnenfeld's wife became sick, halting production entirely. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. So in her 2014 memoir, Watch Me, which I didn't know existed, Angelica Houston. Mm-hmm described the filming of the Adams family as long and arduous, right? So it was decided that the character of Morticia should have eyes which slanted upwards and at the sides. Like the effect was achieved by attaching an elastic strap to the back of Houston's head via fabric tags glued to her temples. And a second strap was added to balance the appearance of the lower part of the face with the upper, right? So the bands caused extended discomfort to Houston. And unless she removed them at lunchtime, she'd suffer severe headaches and rashes later in the day. removing the bands for a break entailed hours of extra work in both removing and then reapplying the makeup and wig so on top of this the bands would snap at the slightest turn of houston's head causing yet more grueling repair time and eventually she just learned to pivot and turn on her feet without moving her upper head or or body right also she had to wear a metal corset so she couldn't really (laughs) lay down or sit or take breaks Oh my god yeah. according to angelica houston actress judith molina's way of enduring being embedded in latex for over 12 hours a day was to smoke endless series of joints in her trailer throughout filming <laughs> i mean that's the way i do yeah. it um they should have just given her the fucking golden globe really for that <laughs> so, oh my god that sounds awful i mean and i always thought when i when i picture angelica houston i just picture her as morticia yeah. right so it seems natural but apparently no <laughs> lord 
On top of all that, Orion's financial difficulties were pretty bad after some duds, even though they'd come out with like Dances with Wolves and a couple of other like hits. Like they had some pretty much duds. They were like trying to break even. And uh, also they were played by like this lawsuit from a producer of the original TV series who was saying they were stealing his concepts from him, even though they had already gotten a blessing from the widow of the original, you know, author. So they were just like kind of played from from beginning to end with with issues, right? Yeah, which led to a bunch of studios sort of like having their finger in this pie, right? Distribution wise. Yeah, I think so, Orion kept you know. the distribution overseas, uh, but it was someone else that that took it domestically. Things I did not know as a child watching this movie. Yeah, so. and wouldn't have been interested in, right? So um, in a 2012 interview, Sonnenfeld stated that he originally intended that it be unclear whether Fester was really an imposter or not, but all the other actors rebelled and chose 10-year-old Christina Ricci to speak on their behalf, and she gave this really impassioned speech that Fester shouldn't be an imposter, so they totally ended up changing the plot to make all the actors happy. And they were right. He said it was a better way to go. <laughs> I love that Christina Ricci was their point person for that. <laughs> yeah, fucking Angelica Houston and Raul Julia, like two accomplished actors. And they're like, you, you go tell him. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but how do you say no to Christina Ricci? Right, yeah. You're like, you're right. We'll rewrite the whole script. <laughs> Is that your script so. or your overbite? <laughs> how do you feel about that, though? Do you Would you rather have Fester like be an imposter and then sort of like grow to love the family and choose to be Fester? Or would you rather him regain his such memory? A weird, What's better for you? It's such a weird ending, especially since he already looks like them. He's got the dark circles around his eyes, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. No, it doesn't make any sense that he wouldn't be already the long-lost brother. Fester? I know. Because no one, no one looks like that. And so he didn't just luck into it. He lucked into finding Fester. So I mean, it wouldn't make any sense to be ambiguous to me at all. So the film was further shaped by test screenings, right? So the Mamushka sequence between Gomez and um, and Fester, where they're like dancing to this Uh like Eastern European like thing together. And so apparently that was really significantly longer sequence than the original cut, but was shortened after negative responses from those test audiences. And I think that's good, too, because I feel like it's kind of long already. That's what I was kind of surprised, because you said that your the party sequence was like one of your favorites, and the party sequence has the mamushka sequence in it. Yeah, not not the dance, <laughs> right? Like that, that, that I can like take or leave. It could have been like several minutes shorter. I just like the other characters and the brief introductions, right? So like Lumpy Adams yeah. and like, you know, the, the Amore twins and, and that guy playing the fucking snake. You know, I mean, like those are the things that I want to see. I could live without the dance number. No, I totally sure. agree. And it's just funny because um, Matt, was watching it with me and he said that if uh, there's a lo- there's a few places in the movie that dragged and the one that he could think of on the top of his head was the mamushka sequence he's like that was far too long and it's hilarious that it, <laughs> that i read that because it's, it's already been it's already apparently like half the length it used to be <laughs> so apparently oh you just God, need to cut really? that whole sequence out man like, it's like the, it's like the worst sequence in the whole movie I mean, thematically, it doesn't make a lot of sense, too, because we're supposed to believe that, you know, Gordon or Fester does not remember, but suddenly he remembers how to dance the mamushka, right? And I'm like, okay, so, I mean, the whole thing has, like, plot holes, and just based on that one fucking Yeah, dance. I thought that he was so. remembering, right? That he was, that was, like, was jogging his memory. Oh, like, yeah, I guess that makes yeah, sense. You're like, right. he, you could tell that his memory kind of got jogged in a couple places, at least that's what I had thought when I was watching it again this time. And it's been a while. It's been like 10 or 15 years at least since I've seen this movie. Um, oh God. For yeah. Sure. And uh, I watched, I watched the sequel much more often, I would say, but um, yeah, like I, I feel like this, this director really wanted, I feel like Sonnefeld really, really wanted a dance sequence and he got that in the next movie too, which is, it's actually one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie is the dance i cannot remember oh my god so i'm looking forward to it (laughs) i don't think i've seen it as many times as you have so yeah uh but speaking of dancing and music i mean what do you have to say about mark shaman you are the resident like film score expert and um i've never heard this man's name before but apparently he's been not really either but he's done all these like romantic comedies and other things like that are totally gay right so like beaches right and when harry met sally misery he was a cinematographer on, uh, or the director actually was a cinematographer on Misery. Yeah, and uh, and the, he also did the music for uh, City Slickers, right? And this is all movies he did before uh, this one, right? And afterwards, he did For the Boys, right? Sister Act, Sleepless mm-hmm. in Seattle, In and Out, South Park. He he wrote the Blame Canada song apparently, like the music for it. <gasps> There's his Oscar yeah. nomination. Another okay. one, honestly. Good. And then Hairspray, right? And then Harry uh, and the Mary Poppins Returns just recently. Yeah, I mean, I kind of liked the score in this movie. It, it was noticeable to me. Like it had some really like good like touches of like gothic romance, right? And um, you know, I just uh, 
never really noticed it. No, it's an iconic theme, really. And of course, this is the theme from like the original TV show, right? But it was worked into the score that's like a freaking tapestry, man. Like it's got like 20s jazz and flapper music in there. There's like melodrama romance in there. There's South American and Eastern European influences. There's a lot of big band in there. Like I was listening to, I always try and listen to the soundtrack while I'm making the notes and doing my research for a film. And I was listening to this and yeah. I was just like, holy shit, this is way more complex and interesting than I noticed in the movie because it's so many you know vignettes and fast cuts and things like that but if you listen to the score like it's um it's it's really good like it's really really well done and so i would highly recommend everyone to go out and listen to this i have i, I have not yet um compared it to adam Shelley values score but i remember loving the music for that one too so i think i want to just because i i mean it's it's kind of rare that i'll notice and like really enjoy a score and i really enjoyed this one and mostly because you know you kind of expect it to be the adams family theme song like over and over again in the movie and there's not a whole lot of it really but no or at least not that i picked up on there's a great like wednesday adams theme like with pugsley that's just kind of dark and spooky and playful and then there's another like romance theme for um morticia and gomez and there's a lot of other like little like light motifs going on throughout the score that are not the main adam's family theme that you would remember you know and so it's just a really good score okay yeah i'm gonna go back and listen to that for sure So I've got some fun facts for you. Great. I always love the fun facts. And I'm sure after that whole corset and like face makeup thing, there's got to be some great right. ones. So as a joke, producer Scott Rudin, let it be known to Sonnenfeld that he wasn't his first choice by putting a different director's name on the back of the director's chair every morning on set. So some of the names that replaced <laughs> Sonnenfeld's were Joe Dante, Terry Gilliam, uh, David Lynch, and Rudin's first choice, Tim Burton. <laughs> he wanted David Lynch to make this movie? Know. It's part of the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see how that would turn yeah. out, though. I mean, really. Good Lord. So did you notice black marks on the front of the house? Like, during the... like, no. Yeah, I did. I kept noticing. I was like, what is the black, like, like splatters all over the front of the house? Like, is that part of the set decoration? And apparently, like, I didn't realize until later that that was supposed to be the splash of tar from the opening gag. Because it's visible the rest of the movie. <laughs> was that why you said tar, apparently, yeah. when we were talking about it? Exactly. <laughs> okay that's funny now i need to watch it again so apparently sir anthony hopkins turned down the role of uncle fester oh oh i could see it i mean maybe but i think i like christopher yeah and apparently Cher wanted to play the role of morticia and olivia hussey was briefly considered for the role along with kim basinger i mean the first two i could totally see really yeah i could totally see olivia hussey doing that yes kim basinger was (laughs) i don't know I can't see it. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I think that if out of those three, aside from Angelica Houston, I would go with Cher. But I don't know that she could deliver the lines right. You know what I mean? I can just imagine. She'd be like, whatever. Are you unhappy, darling? Oh, yes. Oh. Completely. Oh, completely. I can't, I can't do <laughs> liquor, it, Cher. Liquor lips, yeah. Um, I, I and For those of you who don't remember, Olivia Hussey, of course, is from Black Christmas. And Kim Basinger had just starred in Tim Burton's uh, 1989 Batman, right? Oh, so, that's right. Vicky Vale. Meanwhile, Judith Molina, who played Grandmama, I just found out by just going to her wiki, just like randomly, that she was married to Julian Beck, right? So Julian Beck played the preacher from Poltergeist 2. That was her husband. <laughs> and apparently they had a non-monogamous relationship because he was bisexual and they both had male partners on the side. What? <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Kane? <Yes. Cain. laughs> Fuck bisexual? the Babadook. Reverend Kane is our new horror mascot. For real. Why did we rally around him? The Babadook's not a pride icon. Reverend Kane, forever. Oh my God. The next time we go to Dallas Pride, we're going to make Reverend Kane signs and maybe dress up like For real. I, I, I blew my mind that she was married to him. They, and then it like went further by describing the nature of their marriage. And then that they both had male partners on the side. I was just like, holy shit. See, this is why I'd never go into like Wikipedia, like K-holes, right? I need to do that more often. You start clicking some of those Wikipedia links because you learn really important information yeah. like this. <laughs> for my final fun fact okay. after the movie premiered children would frequently recognize raul julia as gomez adams out in public which according to him always brought a smile to his face right so raul julia stated that gomez adams was by far his favorite role he'd ever played and his family said that um, recognition was especially meaningful to him in the final months of his life because he loved performing for children and making them happy wherever the opportunity presented itself oh that's really sweet i remember it was like this big 
it was a big deal when he died because he died so young yeah. of a heart attack in the right after Adam's Valley Values, I think, right? Like a year or so. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really, really sad. And and because uh, I feel like the, the franchise was actually going to go go further and go on, right? But they weren't going to do it without Raul Julia because he was so well adored by everyone who, who made those movies, you know? And um, yeah, I, I loved this agree. little tidbit right that he loved to be recognized that it was one of his favorite roles and they absolutely loved to do it in the final months of his life because he loves to put smiles on the faces of children and he really was a gifted actor too and so i mean like um the fact that this was his favorite role is you know it speaks like volumes about who he is who he was right and so i, I love that that's a really sweet fun fact to end on Good, I enjoyed those. Now all I can see is like Anthony Hopkins playing Fester, like talking about fava beans and like liquor shit. <laughs> and Cher as Morticia. So, <laughs> I know. What the fuck movie is that? Jesus Christ, I'm going to have nightmares tonight now. And Olivia Hussey. <clears throat> I just like to say her name. Uh, but we have some questions to ask about the Adams family, like we do about every movie we cover here on the Film Flamers. And we're going to start with Is the Adams family a horror movie? I'm going to say probably not. Like, this is my first time. <laughs> like, I mean, it, has, it deals with all those macabre things, but it's really just like a dark comedy, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of the, like, the only thing that's horror about it is the window dressing, right? Like, the props and the jokes, like, some, like, right? So I'm going to say that it's a nice, like, maybe palate cleanser for a hardcore horror fan or something if they don't want to ever dip into normalcy. But I mean, to, this is not, this is not really a horror movie. Yeah, I am right there with you on this. And I mean, I know that I have said, you know, I've been on like, my toe has been on the line about calling things horror, not horror, but this is definitely to me, not a horror movie. It's just a really dark, you know, supernatural comedy kind of. So the fact that it won, you know, best horror movie of the year at that, that Oscar style horror show is really surprising to me, given the kind of movies that came out around the same time, like Bram Stoker's Dracula, like the people under the stairs, right? I mean, like, this is definitely to me, not a horror it's just dark. Yeah, it's got horror characters. It's like it's just like it's the, it's playing with genres, which is the point, right? It's putting everything yeah. from a horror movie, but into a comedy. These are things that you know, kids who like horror movies or like dark things who can't really watch R-rated movies. This is what they get to watch when they grab onto, right? So I think that we this all is the look back gateway drug. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is gateway horror for sure. Even the I mean, the Adams Family TV show is a good gateway horror for people who like things that are dark. Yeah. Beetlejuice, yeah. gateway horror, exactly. Gremlins, yeah. It's all gateway horror. Yeah. I mean, I love them all, yeah. but this I would call those horror way before I'd call this one. Horror. Yeah, even so, so, yeah. So, with that being said, were you scared while watching the absolutely <laughs> not? No, I had a smile yeah, on my face the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, I oftentimes have a smile on my face while watching horror movies, but I wasn't scared. We don't have to talk about that for sure. Silly question. Okay, did you cry? I did. <laughs> In fact, two times. Really cried. Watch. Yeah. And I was, I mean, I had one beer watching this movie. I wasn't even drunk. I cried because I was, I was sober and it touched me, you know, in such a place. Where did it touch you? <laughs> Show me on the doll. Um, <laughs> I cried at the end, obviously. And then I, I cried when, I can you remember, but um, probably during the fucking Mamushka. <laughs> as much as I hated that segment, right? Like they were so much like brotherly love or something. I was just verklempt. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So out of five stars, what would you rate? The Adams Family. You know, I I was going in knowing that I love Adams Family Values and that this one was just kind of like the intro movie to that and that I always return to the sequel before this one. And I hadn't seen this one probably in 15 years at least. And so I was just like, yeah, it's overshadowed by its sequel, but damn, this is so much better than I remembered, right? And so I, I just thought, okay, this is a three-star movie compared to like a four or five-star. But no, I like I really liked it. So I gave it like, I gave it a four. I, I considered a low four, um, but I gave it a, a solid four because I just enjoyed the shit out of it. I enjoyed myself. There's some iconic characters in this. Uh, there's wonderful casting, wonderful music. Um, you know, it's a good time all the way through. So you know what? At the end of the day, I have to judge by how I felt during and after the movie. And uh, I had to give it a four. I gave it three and a half stars which is kind of close to your four. I originally, after I watched it, gave it three stars. But um, I was thinking about it this morning. And I mean, the casting really is very inspired. And the acting is so phenomenal. I bumped it up that half a point. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen this movie probably since like 1993. So a good, you know, 20 years almost. Yeah. No, God, more than that, maybe. Really? Math. So yeah. So I mean, I just... um. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't remember every single part of this movie. I was surprised by parts of it. I didn't laugh very much, which, um, really sort of like, yeah, it gave me, it's where my low star rating came from. I sort of chuckled a little bit, you know, but I didn't like guffaw with laughter sort of like I remember doing watching Adam's family values, like you said. So I think that I've seen that one more times than this original, but even Adam's family values, I haven't seen that many times. So yeah, it's all kind of new to me at this point. Again. Well, okay. So finally, Who's the hottest guy in the Adams family? Raul Julia. Yeah, easily. Yeah. I mean, I just um There's no one else. Not, I mean, yeah. <laughs> there really isn't. <laughs> but uh even just from a character standpoint, I mean, like you're right earlier when you said it was relationship goals, because it really is, right? I mean, he he's very he's a doting husband and father, and he's very attentive to his wife, and I mean, it's just kind of sexy to me. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Every scene with him and Morticia, I'm just like yeah, relationship goals. They're standing out looking at the stormy weather and they're like, it's horrible outside. And she goes, yes. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> they just understand, they just get each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, I, I love it. But I think that just about wraps up our conversation on The Adams Family. But stay tuned next week because we're going to continue and talk about Adams Family values. That's right. We'd like to know your thoughts on this original version, though, and our conversation on it. So you can find us on social media at The Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and let us know what you think. Or you can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Is that your voicemail or your overbite? <laughs> Is it made from real voicemails? <laughs> um, <laughs> If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave us a five-star review, a little snippet of why you like us, and we will read that on our next Shoot in the Flames episode. And also, if you can't get enough of us, we have a Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers to find all of our bonus content and get our episodes early sometimes. You can do that for as little as $2, and we'll also read your name on Shooting the Flames. That's right. And over on Patreon this month, we're covering Deadpool 1 and 2. I'm looking forward to this. I have not seen these movies at all. So more dark comedy and buckets of gore just for you. Oh, there's buckets of gore? Well, I don't know buckets. There's just some, some nasty shit goes on. We'll say that. Oh, God, I'm super excited. Well, until next week, when we talk about some of these values, let's go off, Chris, and have some sweet, sweet dreams. dreams. I was going to say something like ooky dreams, but I think I've said ooky too many times already in this recording. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Ooky spooky. (sighs) Okay.